Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast brought to you by Martel Cognac. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon at Mark's Club by three gentlemen at the centre of the fitness revolution. We've got Jason DeSavory of Core Collective, James Balfour of One Rebel and Damien Song of Form Nutrition. In a particularly animated episode of the podcast, the boys discuss how fitness has become more fashionable than fashion, why mental fitness could be the next big thing and how social media can be a double-edged sword. Gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us. If you look around you as a, as a young man in 2018, it seems that everyone is obsessed with health and fitness in a way that they weren't before. What's going on and why have we, why has our attitude to fitness changed so much? Jason. I wished I looked around as a young man <laughs> in 2018. I'm, um, so, well, I think, you know, gradually over the last decade or so, we've all started to accept that we have to keep fit. And then I think as people have gradually imprinted it on their daily life, they've started to get some level of enjoyment out of it. And I think with the more and more, as the market's grown, uh, I, I think the range of offering is, is starting to really explode and change. And I think, um, I think it's gonna continue. Yeah. I think if you look back um, 25 or 30 years ago, <clears throat> the cost of um, keeping fit was quite high. You'd be joining a country club with tennis courts and that sort of thing at quite a high price. And then sort of affordable fitness came in. Now there's a whole, um, you know, there's a, a widespread of options to get into health and fitness. But if I'm you know, maybe a bit brutally honest about the big change over the last five years, and that's been, as we were discussing earlier, Instagram. Um, people now are very proud of sharing and comparing their better version of themselves. And I think that has really helped stimulate a boost towards, you know, hit training in particular, going to gyms that represent, that, going to a brand that represents your sort of values and then sharing that, sharing and comparing that on social media. Um, we've never seen anything like it, I think, in the fitness industry. Yeah. And how has the model changed over that period? If we talk about the old country club model, is that, is that on the way out, do you think, to the big kind of annual subscriptions? Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's changing um, rapidly right now. Um, the typical big box um, gym, which, you know, when we, when we started One Rebel, it, you know, the idea was rebelling against things that we had done before, which was typically in the big box um, gym environment. And that was a case of let's build a big club, fill it with as much equipment as possible and sign people into a 12-month contract. Now, I've never signed a contract that I didn't end up resenting. And I think millennials these days looking to join a gym for however much a month, signing a contract that looks more like a mortgage agreement right. is just not applicable to the way they consume things. So, you know, I, I would say that end of the model um, is being squeezed dramatically by either the budget end, where it's what you, what you get is what you pay for, it does what it says on the tin, and then the more higher-end boutique um, you know, offering where it's more aligned with your values, your, you know, the, the people that you want to be with and hang think, out with. I think people want to move around as well, and I think businesses that aren't trying to win you entirely, but they're, they're accepting of the fact that they're good enough for you to want to come back mm. without needing to tie you in is a big change. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more like a restaurant culture now. Yes. We're, we're retailers uh, now. You know, that, that's the thing. It's moved away from sort of destination gyms where we, we sign you up and lock you in to um, pay-as-you-go retailers. And, and I think when you, know, when you used to talk to the old private equity guys and say, oh, look, we're doing a gym chain where there's no contracts, they would shudder at the thought of not getting reoccurring direct debit payments. But actually, they missed the point, and that was that get, having a contract-led business is a weakness because you're dependent on 
using finances, if you like, and mm. little options of buy 12 months, get your 13th month free, um, just to, to catch up with the amount of people who are leaving and breaking the contract. When you don't have contracts, lo and behold, you actually have to perform yeah. and be the best in class in every class so that your customer comes back. And it redresses the balance between you and the customer. Yeah. And if we rewind slightly, I mean, you're three men very successful, you all look like you're in great shape. Were you always... Um, <laughs> it's not meant to be a joke. But, uh, were you always very into fitness and health? What were you like as a 13-year-old child growing up? Uh, well, for, I mean, for me personally, yes. I mean, always. I mean, I'm kind of giving away my age, but my kind of like childhood heroes were kind of Arnie and Bruce Lee. So from like the age of kind of... Well, from teenage years, it was always kind of like... Uh, drop kicking my friends or uh, okay. going to the gym when we got later and always always been into kind of fitness and nutrition one way either through sport martial arts um, eating well or going to the gym so yeah it's always been a, always been a big part of my life and when did you decide to make that passion into a business what was the moment God, well, the initial kind of planning for form came around uh, kind of about 2014. I first started looking at this as, a, as an idea. And funnily enough, I started looking at female, uh, female nutrition because that was a space that's kind of, well, I, I, I kind of found it very condescending to women. There's a lot of female products out there, but they're basically the men's products made a bit smaller and packaged up pink. And in the industry, okay. they actually called it shrink it and pink it, uh, <laughs> which, which, which is a great cool. yeah, like You like that, you can have that one. Um, <laughs> So, so I, I initially kind of started looking at that, and I connected with our head of nutrition, Dr. Adam Collins. He's kind of a, you know a PhD with over mm. twenty years' experience, and his um, his area of research was around male-female differences in, in respect of nutrient timing. So that was the kind of the first time I started looking at it uh, seriously. But you know, once we started kind of planning out that business, we realised. Roughly speaking, the female market is half the market. That's there. there. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, then the amount of the amount of women that kind of care that much about their nutrition to to really kind of look for a very specific female female product is, is obviously a subset of that and smaller, yeah. smaller still. So we kind of pivoted and, and kind of started looking at plant based um, plant based nutrition and nootropics and cognitive supplements. Uh, and then a lot of time developing flavoring, developing products, and we eventually launched in March 2017. And James, your background is very much in gyms. I suppose you're part of a gym dynasty in a way, if there are any. Uh, your father founded Fitness First. What did you learn from him and, and what have you decided to do differently, I suppose? So on the basis that he's he might listen to this, I probably have to be careful what I say. I mean, <laughs> so I, the one listener. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had very, I mean, um, age 11, um, the first Fitness First um, started. And it was a family journey at that point. I mean, I remember at the age 12, because um, the first club was called the Queen's Park Health Club because it was next to um, a golf course called Queen's Park in Bournemouth. And about a year later, I remember being at home with my mum, my sister, and my dad came home with some A3 pages um, with choices for the Fitness First logo. Okay. And as a family, we, we, we chose that logo, which wow. then carried on for another sort of 25 years before the latest rebrand, which I think happened about four or five years ago. So, um, you know, I grew up with that journey, but having left um, school, there were, and then university, there was, I had no interest in getting into fitness. That was always his baby. So I um, went into stockbroking for three mm -hmm. years. Then I basically took a year out. I'd always done um, a, a lot of adventures and I joined the Honorable Artillery Company when I was in the city as well. And I had this goal of climbing Mount Everest, which I, I did in that year out. And then when I came back from that um, with some bills to pay, I sort of figured actually, getting into this industry with him as a sort of a, a mentor would be a good thing. So together we started up another chain of uh, fitness clubs, which was very much in the model of Fitness First, but in Eastern Europe. 
Okay. So I, I based myself in Poland for five years. Wow. And uh, we grew the business across Eastern Europe, Turkey and Southeast Asia before exiting about four years ago. And I look back at those days very fondly because I learned a hell of a lot, but I also learned a lot of what we were not meant to do or shouldn't have done because it really was a fitness second. Um, you know, when my father started Fitness First, it was quite pioneering. We relabeled the model and took it to sort of more emerging markets. Mm -hmm. But you know, one of the things that prompted me to to move on and come come back to the UK and do One Rebel is because I noticed there was a massive shift in the behaviour of consumers and what they really wanted. And I, I have to give credit to the likes of SoulCycle and Barry's Bootcamp because you know, 20 years ago or 15, I think, in SoulCycle's case. Um, they recognized that the value was not on the gym floor, but it was in the classes. And, um, and if SoulCycle hadn't started, however long ago, charging people $34 for a class, we probably wouldn't be here now. Right. And Jason, you were in finance as well? Yes. What made you decide to make the leap from that? Well, I mean, to... I think whilst I was getting bored of working in uh, trading, I was working out a little bit more, and I was, just, I was pretty aware that people were starting to really want to get curious about keeping fit and there just really wasn't anywhere out there that satisfied what I wanted to do and it was when I was visiting friends in New York and you see what they do out there that you're like wow this is everyone's doing loads of cool stuff and loving it and it's like a part of everyday life not not like an hour which you black out for and go and get done early morning or yeah. after work uh, and I sort of at the time probably mistakenly thought I saw quite clearly how it was all going to develop and that there was a real gap for what I wanted to do. So I you, just you, you say mistakenly, but surely something. No, I mean, out. yeah, it's sort of you know, <laughs> would I have started knowing what I know now? Probably. Yeah. Well, yeah, probably would have done. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think you know, there is like everyone comes from the city. Yeah, there's like a nice like when you're naive and have a creative view about something. It's nice not knowing what you eventually learn. You know, it's it's yeah. difficult to. Execute I well. think you can approach it with a beginner's mindset, then, though, right? And that's what really can well, kind of help to, you. Yeah. yeah, you have to. You have no choice. But that's yeah. what really helps you kind of think yeah. things through a little bit no, differently and so. not be tainted by the, you know, all that experience and wisdom yeah. that would stop you doing and all things. the normal. Yeah, I think the that, that's that's really critical. Because although I sort of grew up in it, I sort of I, I remember in one interview I suggested that I was a, a, an outsider in the industry. I think that was just when Jason trolled my Instagram as well. So that was just an outsider in general. But, um, uh, but like, you know, my, my view is when you're trying to do something different, you've got to have a completely fresh perspective. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, I think everyone was saying to me, oh, it's all about personal training. And I said, I just don't really even understand how it can be all yeah. about personal training. Yeah. There's classes is where it's at. Well, and you say, you know, there was nothing that appealed to you, right? And no. that yeah. obviously is often yeah. the, the best the best kind of test, right? For me, with, with nutrition, there was no, you know, as someone who's into kind of design, fashion, architecture or whatever, there was no kind of nutrition brand that really spoke to me. No. They were all kind of, you know, big plastic tubs with muscle men and kind yeah. of lightning strikes or grenades <laughs> on the front or yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? Grenades. Why, 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 why is nothing cool? Why, why is there no like ASOP of No, I, I think that's right. So yeah. it was, it was and, and I created a brand for me. You created a gym for yeah. you and I, I'm guessing you probably did the same with One, yeah. one Rebel. And um, I think it was Branson that said, you know, if, if you can create something for yourself, at least you've got one customer. Yeah. 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 And you, you can better Hopefully, hopefully yeah, there'll, be, there'll be some more. Knowing myself, yeah, I'm pretty ordinary, so <laughs> <laughs> hopefully I hit a large range yeah. of people. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think it was very one-dimensional, what was on offer. And it's, very quickly, it's become quite exciting and dynamic in mm -hmm. London. I think we're probably 
right up there. Globally. Do you still think we're a long way behind the States? I mean, I just got back from LA and New York. And, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think in terms of um, uh, the design and the offering and yeah. the service, I think we actually are the, the, um, the home yeah. of, of boutique fitness now. Really? Ge yeah, okay. genuinely think that. I think if you look at our clubs or Jason's clubs at Core Collective versus um, the New York offering, yeah. we are leaps ahead of them, right. honestly, in terms of design experience. But as a marketplace, we're behind in the adherence. Yeah. So the occupancies and the, the attendance in the New York classes are higher than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, they are just so far ahead. You know, people's discretionary spend on fitness and then the green juice and the, the yoga pants and the Chanel glasses as they walk out you know, is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. much higher than in London right now. But that is a trend which we will meet. So in the next three to five years, we'll get there. Because yeah, every year now we have people that, you know, five years ago, you know, the oldest person doing boutique fitness is probably 25 or 26 or something. Mm -hmm. Each year, a new crop comes along and a new one gets older and richer. So the market's only really getting thicker, I think. Yeah. Hopefully. And it's interesting, <laughs> we speak a lot about experiences and it seems a big trend is that millennials, if we want to call them yes. that, like to spend all their money on experiences we, and aren't really yeah. interested in material goods. Yeah. Is that what you've all noticed in your... Well, this is the, the big kind of macro trend, right? Mm. Is, I mean, you asked in the beginning about, you know, the growth of gym spaces or, or wellness in general. I think the kind of the bigger macro question is, why are people prepared now to spend more of their money on wellness, whether that's the gym, whether that's nutrition, whether that's a day at the spa? You know, and that's really, I think, probably, you know, driven by the rise of the millennial. I think it's driven by people realizing that kind of possession and things and just accumulating it's also a little wealth. bit more out of reach as well i think when i moved to london and started working the idea of owning a flat was like not a million miles away mm. i think people yeah exactly look, people look at it now as so far and ridiculous and abstract yeah so they don't bother, they don't bother for it and then they start to prioritize yeah. other things yeah, yeah. No, exactly. without a doubt i believe people want to purchase experiences over things now yeah. and again i think you know we shouldn't underestimate um, the impact of social media here um, you know, we are in a sharing economy, so a lot of the physical goods that we would buy are now being shared. And also, people want to post something about them doing something that suggests they're yeah. better than you thought they were. And it, I don't yeah, know if it's, it's not that cynical. I, think, I, think it's not, I don't think it's cynical, but I think it's a reality. Yeah, yeah I, but I think a lot of it comes down to what are our tradi what traditional goals that our parents told us to sort of save money so you can buy a flat, save money yeah, so you yeah, can yeah. Like, get why a steady job. Bother? I can't yeah. even, mm -hmm. if I yeah, save no, exactly. all my money for 10 years, I still can't afford yeah, a and, flat. And then the bigger geopolitical thing, yeah. that's globalization. Yeah, you know, globalization. It hasn't, it hasn't worked for, for, no, for many hasn't you know, served. Come out people. of university now, like you say, you've got no chance of probably getting a decent no. job or buying a house, right? Yeah. So yeah. what do they do? They don't save for a house. They, they spend learn money to enjoy on experiences. Yeah, experiences. They get fit at Core or One Rebel and hopefully buy a form protein shake, you know, instead yeah. and save up for experiences. Yeah, and feel good James now says. rather than put this yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. We could be here for a while if we want to discuss how we disappointed our parents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, uh, we are here for a while, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, James, you mentioned um, kind of social media there. And it seems maybe that Social media has is a kind of double-edged sword. Often it can, you know, bring out the best of us, but also it brings out, as Jason said, a kind of cynicism and maybe. No, I was saying I was saying I, I don't I don't see it as always. I actually don't see it as people wanting to show off or impress. I don't. I mean, that's natural. Whenever you meet someone, you mm. want to 
if you meet someone, you, you don't want them to think you're an idiot. I think I think it's weaponized it though. Yeah, um, it's turbocharged it. And in terms of the negative um, of social media, which I actually feel quite strongly about this, um, I think it's we're, I mean, people talk about this all the time, but I think we're all on the cusp of a dramatic health uh, mental health crisis because of it. Because what you'll find is you're you know. There, there are lots of people who are in this competition to compare the best version of themselves. And, and I think the distance between your, rea your reality and your online um, mm. personality mm. is getting greater and greater and greater. And everyone's trying to keep up with what their friends are doing. And it's leading to a lot of very unhappy people on a Sunday night, you know, you know watching the TV thinking, I'm not doing something as cool as my other friends. And I, I see it with customers, I see it with staff. And I, I think it's 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 it could be a very unhealthy um, thing if it doesn't get you know, tilted back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, people have to have a lot of discipline with social media to use it really as a tool for good, right? Rather than yeah. rather than all of these things. Because you know? if you look at the screen time thing, I mean, that yeah, is, I, I mean that's scary. I spoke yeah. to a friend of mine. Cat mine in twenty minutes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done by about seven thirty a.m. I spoke to a friend of mine. She has um, a cousin who's Maxed fourteen. Out. And she was complaining of a crooked, crooked neck. Yeah. And so she went to the doctors, and the doctor looked at her and you know, sort of, you know, looked, tried to ascertain what had happened and said, do you take many selfies? And oh, then no. he, he said, show me your selfie position. So she took, got into the position where her neck bent over wow. to the left. And he what's said, how, yours, how many do you, <laughs> he said, how many do you take a, take a day? <laughs> and, um, and she said, oh, no, only like 10 or something. He said, show me your phone. And she had taken 50 that day. Wow. And when a doctor has enough experience to diagnose wow. someone as you know, a selfie neck, there's, that thumb there's thing a problem. Well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Where Repetitive like strain disorder yeah. or something, yeah. Where you've got like a too much sore thumb from thumbing through the gram. <laughs> Apparently. Or yeah. there are other apps. I'm fine. Yeah. 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 yeah, before phones were invented, used to be RSI for other things. Yes, right? RSI. So, yeah. Yeah. Tennis. Yeah. Tennis, for example. Tennis for but, yeah. but for all of you, use social media, and it's an incredibly useful tool in the fitness industry, yeah. perhaps more than any other industry. Um, I don't yeah. know how you started a brand before social media. Yeah, yeah we really, we all really lucked <laughs> we, out, I yeah, think, in terms really... of when we started, particularly okay. to get a. And now it's very sticky getting a, yeah. getting uh, new followers. Personally, mm. I would come off social media personally if it wasn't for business. Right. I really would. I think I think it actually, you Lol. know, it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it frustrates people more than it gives them happiness at the moment. Yeah, it's true. I, I would definitely not have Instagram if I didn't have to keep. It's important to keep vaguely in touch of yeah. like what washes over, so you can use it for your business effectively. Yeah. And but, also, I see other businesses through it. You know, it's, it's it's almost intelligence gathering as well. But um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people. I, I think the next wave will be you know, a dramatic shift away from social media. Yeah. Well, I think you're already seeing that. Yeah. You know, I mean, Apple incorporating screen time is like the first yeah. step into making people aware. Taking of this a first, kind of stuff, exactly right. Yeah. Something like Core Collective, for example, is a very almost fashionable place to go. It's the way a restaurant might have been 30 years ago. People kind of want to be seen in there and going in there. And you've got a cafe, and it's not really a gym. It's a kind of I agree. Yeah. yeah, that was an accident. I did, we didn't know that would happen. That people liked to phone. You know, we we when we opened Instagram was a thing. Everyone had to have an Instagram account when you had a business. People started coming, taking pictures of themselves there. People started following them, and and that's sort of how it grew and following us. And I think then you sort of think, you know, we I think we did a survey. And it was like twenty something percent of the people who were coming for the first time and heard about us through Instagram. Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, we better pay attention to this because. That's quite a good way you to do. go. We, we surveyed our customers and you know, 80% first hear about us through Instagram. Really? It's, it's amazing. I mean, we've always been blown away by the amount of customer sharing and you know, we kind of, we try to kind of really foster a community mm. amongst our customers. I mean, every day when I look on Instagram, you know, there's 20, 30, 50 people sharing pictures of, you know, 
what they've made their, their protein porridge cool. or something like yeah. that, that they've made this morning it's amazing the, the really biggest amazing. challenge it, it is changing you know social yeah. media like once you think you've got some way of performing well advertising wise or whatever it is on social media suddenly it's like gone as soon as you like crack it they change the algorithm yeah, yeah it's sort of changing the whole time so you just scary to put all your weight in that I think it's as you say it's just an amplifi amplifier for referrals yeah fine. and the best way of getting new people in is always referrals so I think um, the other Apparently. issue is when, when you when you sort of realize that it's quite powerful the pressure for constant content yes. um, really mounts and we, we um, when we first started we used some um, agencies to help us with social media um, I'll never do it again um, they'll never care as much as you care and uh, so we do everything in-house yeah. and our spend goes on basically an in-house marketing team who will take the photos do the videos do the editing um, uh, but we spend it's essentially nothing on on pushing that um, we do very little marketing spend um, but but it's it's a constant battle to always mm. think of something new and exciting and of course you know you can have this great idea that goes out in a 30 second video but it's um it's yesterday's news the following day yeah um, so it's a, it's a it's a big job if you want to do it properly yeah I completely agree I mean we, we do all of ours in-house but 90 you know 95 percent is all user-generated content so for us that's a nice way of sharing and giving back to our users and it makes us e it makes it easier for yeah, us yeah, in terms yeah. of finding the content we try to post every day which if you had to kind of actually create that content that's yeah. tough yeah, you know, of course. like just like publishing a magazine or something yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. continually continually you know, to get stuff yeah. out yeah not an With easy task but a brilliant magazine nonetheless. But <laughs> another very modern way that um, perhaps you guys have done things differently, I know certainly Jason and James, you raise money through crowdfunding. Mm. Um, why did you decide to go down that avenue? We initially went to speak to Private Equity and uh, you know, we felt we had a good idea with a lot of experience in the team and on the board. And it, you know, typically Private Equity want more than 50%. And uh, you know, the, I'll tell you, the, the emotional thing which I dislike about Private Equity, although. I should probably yeah, yeah. think about this because I might come on a baby yeah. bolt one day. <laughs> Cut this but bit out. Yeah, but it's that it's, it's typically um, an employee um, who you go and present to who is bonus based on performances and the rest of it. And, so you never um, choose a business like ours. Yeah. And, <laughs> but when, when you go to Crowdcube, you've got people's, people who are looking to invest their after-tax income, which could have gone on their kids' schooling or holidays. There's almost a much more emotional kind of investment there. And it makes it a bit more real and it makes your responsibility to those people also a bit more real. And, um, and it worked brilliantly for us. Um, you know, I don't know if, if it's something that you'd continue to do. I think it's much more for the early stage when people mm -hmm. can get on board with the brand and the vision. Yeah, and you get, um, you, when you, especially for us, when we were open already, we had, you know, you've got a lot of customers and hundreds of customers invested in it. And that's great that they care enough to yeah. fork yeah. out. Yeah. I think the potential, I mean, the potential downside of, of the crowdfunding route is like the unsophisticated nature of the investor, right? It's, it's like I, I, I can foresee issues in the future where people didn't realise that they can't get their money out, for example, until you know there's an exit. You know, even simple kind yeah. of things like well, that. Well, they are yeah. de developing secondary markets. Really? Yeah, more and more. I think look, the risk is, is you know, in. Uh, it seems like if you look at some of the stuff, as I do, because they email it through. Mm. And you I mean, some of the valuations I see. Well, know. valuations are high, um, probably. Um, but but even that, there's a, there's a lot of stories that are just look, look factually untrue. It looks yeah. like people are raising money to plug like a sinking ship. Yeah, and, yeah, I, and I think yeah. they, they they need to do maybe some work around how they vet a pitch or really just mm. do a bit better due diligence around what they allow in. Because, you know, yeah. it's not good for us if 
businesses start to fail six months after raising money with some big promises when yeah. really all they were doing was stopping themselves going bust. Sometimes I think there are just too many companies. And I, I sort of say that tongue in cheek, on but just, it, just in almost general. in general, because right. this whole like startup culture, which is quite revolutionary and brilliant, and the access to capital for young people with good ideas, that's fantastic. But I, you know, I don't want to you know, upset anybody. But I saw this one particular company the other day, and its USP was that you could pick the taxi driver. You know, so an, an addition that Uber could do in a second. Mm. And I just thought that we've got enough taxi apps. There's clearly a, a, a dominant winner, and this should not be raising money. Yeah. And it gets, I think, sometimes whilst it's great that there's ease of cap capital and access to it, and you can get your story and you can be a young entrepreneur, there's also got to be a time where sometimes you say that's a bad idea. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, don't waste your time or money. Um, as harsh as that sometimes sounds. But I guess that's what the market says, right? Yeah, it is. In yeah. the end. Yeah, but I think around, 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 <laughs> around crowdfunding, it's quite easy to just slide in with, yeah. a, with a nice video and some yeah. irreparable yeah, yeah. yeah. shit. Yeah. Again, that's because it's unsophisticated investors, right? They, yeah, they but it's the responsibility of, of, the, of the platforms, the platform. I think, to, yeah. to, put, to put some level of due diligence higher than they do. I'm not saying they don't, but... Uh. So, certainly, our experience has been a very, very good one. Mm -hmm. So, I, and, and like I said, that you know, there's, on Crowdcube, for example, one of the you know, massive winners was um, BrewDog, um, which yeah. raised money a little while ago, and now I think is you know, worth over a billion, and they've just come back for like the seventh time. So there have been some fantastic stories. And, it's, and revolution. And, and, yeah, and we, we can't, can't forget that the traditional um, funders, the private equity and VCs, they love bashing Crowdcube because it's cutting their lunch. Yeah. So the, you know, and they you, also have their share of losers too. I mean, you know, don't think that private equity, everything they invest in goes well. No. So, it, you know. But for, anyway, so I think for young businesses with lots of customers who are actively engaged, it's a great, for us it was about getting a start line and a deadline to raising mm. money really, I think, because you know, we needed to raise the money for it. You know, the timeline was sort of evolving a bit and it just puts sort of a time, we, we had people who were interested to re invest money. They're like, when do you need it? And you're like, don't know. And then it just gives it a start time and a deadline where you're like, we need it then. So I wonder what surprised you most about this industry since you started. Jason, you said you wouldn't necessarily no. start in if you did. But obviously that means there have been surprises along the way. What 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 were your perceptions before that have been challenged? Uh, I, I, for me, it's not so much, I mean, it, there have been a lot of things that have been pleasantly surprising. How easy it will not, how relatively amazingly professional instructors are and like people who work in this industry. I was always worried it would be an absolute nightmare and they're great. I think where it's been disappointing is in how, you know, the market's slightly had the leg swept out of it by, for example, an aggregator like ClassPass for a long mm -hmm. time really has undermined our margins, I would say, is that mm. fair? Yeah. And it's changed, you know, you know, what we do is like, you know, a class with 15 people in it and really clean facilities and cool instructors and great changing rooms that are always clean and towels and all this stuff is like, it, it should be worth about 20 pounds, right? Or more. and and very often your prices are under pressure by sort of aggregating type things. So it's just a, you, a very difficult place to actually get the price that your service should do you get. Really, do you really bat. need to be on ClassPass to keep the booking rates up? They've got that much kind of control. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, not that I know, but it's sort of like cocaine in a way that, um, you know, once you start a little bit, you know, Moorish. And uh, I think, 
<laughs> so you know, yeah. I mean, of course, you could go cold turkey, but then you're you're. What are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the pro what Jason's trying to eloquently yeah. explain is that we let them in a bit. We let them in. We let them in at the beginning. It's and like then your we first one's for free, <laughs> and then you're a little bit hooked. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know the challenge with when you run a business is when you're when you've got sort of you know slightly lower yield, if you like, from from an aggregator, um, you can. Cut it off, but then you're gonna have you've got to wear that pain mm -hmm. until, and it's a, it's a good test of your business as to whether customers will that switch, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to you. But it's also a hard um, decision to make when you're growing and you're you're under pressure to deliver insights and capital and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, to, to to I'm gonna rescue Jason on one comment because I don't because I know Jason as we spoke before. Why I don't think I don't, I said I don't think you meant <laughs> that it was a mistake. Going no, no, I, I think, I, but but I think it's the difference between being in a comfortable job when you're paid to being an entrepreneur yeah. like that that nobody should should underestimate that you're going to dive into a load of uncertainty of and course. that's like the key being able to be comfortable in that discomfort i yeah. think which um which he was referring to yes <laughs> and yes. you've you've grown relatively no, quite quickly all of you <laughs> and you've got um and you've got teams of of people do had you managed teams before have you found it difficult the personnel side of stuff well i think um any any kind of business, one of the biggest challenges is is the people, right? Mm. Um, recruiting is like super tough, um, and then managing is is re is really really hard, um, and leading is even is even harder. Um, but you know, for us, uh, there's this great saying, and I'm probably going to mangle it, but it's kind of like you know, A people recruit B people, B people recruit C people. C. Mm. Or something. It's like an alphabet thing. <laughs> but basically, what it's trying to say is that you know, if you're a smart person, you try and recruit smart people mm -hmm. who are kind of smarter than you, right? Yeah. You, you're not afraid to be like the least smart person in the room. You want yeah. to kind of surround yourself with people better than you in every single area mm -hmm. that you can. You're self-aware. You understand where your weaknesses are. You understand where the gaps are that you need to plug with smart yeah. people. So I think if you can be like that, if you can be self-aware, then you know, for me, that's that's the key to, to, to managing in terms of people. And how have you attracted people? Do you have a very interesting classic startup culture there? Do you have unlimited holidays and free breakfast and stuff? Uh, we do, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, free breakfast yeah. is news to me. Yeah. <laughs> they um, do. So, for example, in our front of house team, um, yeah, we attract these am amazing people, often from theatre as well. So they're quite dynamic personalities and represent the brand really, really well. But we um, we borrowed a tactic. I can't remember which business this is from. But where, where if they were recruiting a new member of the team, they go through the interview process, then they have a, a day sort of on trial with the team. Um, but to actually get the job, the, the team votes, and it has to wow. be unanimous. And the reason for that is about retaining culture. Yeah. Um, and it's so critical because just like uh, laughter is infectious, so is a, a bad apple. And uh, and we, we, we've probably spent much more time when I think about the last sort of year or two, if you like, focusing on culture rather than management. And I think it's paid massive dividends. You know, we have a really, I think, happy team. Everyone's friends, they go on holiday together, they go for drinks together. And it's just made, actually, I think, managing so much easier. Yeah, you have to recruit for fit. I think that's the most important yeah. thing because you know everything else. In, you know, as long as you're half intelligent, you can be trained to do most yeah. of the things you need to do in your job. And the most important thing, as, as James, is, I think, is alluding to, is like that fit with culture, yeah. with you know, interpersonally. I think it was um, just to do another Branson quote. <laughs> I think he said, uh, um, "You can uh, train skills, but you can't change attitudes." And right. I think that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very true. What are the red flags when when you're interviewing someone? What do the people say that they might think is very convincing, but is actually off-putting? 
Um, well, I'm a terrible interviewer. I, really, <laughs> I just, I really just, uh, I, I, I'm very bad. You know, it's, it's. Unco- I remember interviews. You know, it's uncomfortable. So I just, you know, we never really ask enough questions, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's you either like someone or not, okay. and it either works or not. You find out pretty quickly. The challenge is, you're going to spend more time with this person than your, your girlfriend, your wife, boyfriend, husband, or whatever, on a daily basis, and you only get an hour or two to really, you know, find out who they are. And I, you know, I don't know how many HR rules I break, but I go really into like let's work out do we share the same values because mm. if you share the same values you can often get over most things um but i i want to see you know when do you get upset when are you happy what offends you what doesn't you know i want to understand that do you person. ask them those questions that directly again i'm um you know might take legal advice on this answer <laughs> but no, <laughs> no I, I personally do yeah, yeah. i i, I go, you know I, I go straight to the court because i want to know are we going to be able to work well together and you know, we just employed someone who had about three interviews, and it wasn't like it was the final decider. But we then took her out for drinks mm. um, with the rest of the team, and again, it was just to see, you know, is is the face going to fit? Are we going to work well as a team? Because once you get that right team, it life becomes so much easier. Yeah. But having people who um, could become toxic, um, it it really really causes problems. Yeah, and it ends up taking so much management yeah. time as well. Yeah. And what are your lives like away from, from work then? How do you keep that work-life balance? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, there's a mentality with founders that you should be working seven days a week and always be on no, and sleep three hours a night. I'm not like that at all, actually. So I'm very, I, personally, I'm very much kind of uh, take the view that downtime, massage, meditation, just relaxing or reading is, is not downtime it's kind of a real investment in myself and my productivity and I think it's a very kind of very it's a, it's a very kind of like <laughs> 80s Gordon Gecko kind of thing yeah. to kind of you know be going yeah. at it you know full speed um, and I think maybe that's, you know, that's something that's changed now because you know five ten years ago people people weren't like that so much mm. so I think it's uh, I mean, I love a nap, personally. Yeah, I mean, I love naps. Yeah, I'm always napping. And it's nice that 3 p.m. is a downtime in the gym, so <laughs> I, do, I do like to have a nap. Okay. But there's a lot of science behind an afternoon nap, right? You Apparently, know, yeah. Coffee naps are great things. So you have a coffee. Nappuccino. Then, then, <laughs> 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 then you know it. Um, is that what they call it? Can you yeah, sleep yeah. once you've had a coffee? I, well, yeah, because yes, like, you can. Because caffeine, caffeine, yeah. Yeah, caffeine has about 30 minutes. How is wow. you out like a firework on the other side of the nap? Wow, <laughs> I remember my, my my dad. You know, he's he's always made me feel guilty about how much I work because he was from the culture. How much of, you don't work? Yeah, how much, yeah, that that one. Because <laughs> he was from the culture of you know, if you're not working in terms of hours, you're not working hard. I think that's changed completely. Yeah. And actually, the way we um, uh, pay people and the way we sort of you know, structure people's day needs a bit of correction. So, you know, for example, at nine o'clock at night, if I sent out an email to my team or WhatsApp. Uh, um, I can expect responses. Now, they're not paid for that typically because the contract says nine to five, mm. but the contract is bollocks really because it's actually people people are working almost all the time, they're connected all the time, and you're, you you shouldn't be pushing people to work you know harder than you need them to be and you shouldn't harass them on the holiday times. But people are available a lot more, so I'm not, I'm not convinced necessarily that I, I work the hardest, but I think I'm uh, very effective. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and there's a lot of time where maybe I'll be doing nothing, but I'm simply thinking and strategizing, and that's probably the best use of my time at, you know, occasionally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think like James says, you know, people have to be effective, and everyone's kind of productivity is different. You know, some people work better in the morning, some people work better in the evening. Yeah, have you read people... that book, Why We Sleep? Yes, I'm, uh, God, I was obsessed by I'm obsessed by sleep anyway, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Matthew Walker, he's amazing, right? Uh, yeah. And, well, yeah. What, are the, what are the lessons from no, that? No, just, I mean, there was one bit um, around how some people are morning people and some people are night, night owls, and 
that is like hardwired. You can't really change yeah, that. Yeah. And so people who can't get to sleep till late and then have to get up early to go to work are very ineffective yeah. in the mornings. Yeah. And it, like the day is not set up for them. So okay. Okay. Well, it's the same for teenagers, which yeah. biologically need yeah, to yeah. kind of sleep later into the morning, but still have to get up for school at the same time as a, as a six or seven year old. And, you know, the, the argument is they should start school later. Um, so, yeah, I think like, I think forward-thinking businesses are starting to recognise this and are giving employees the responsibility and the flexibility yeah. to, to and we're, manage we're their own time. We're lucky because we're open from six till nine. So, if if, if we weren't a seven-day-a-week business, I would absolutely endorse four-day weeks. Whereas wow. rather than people working eight hours, they work ten hours, but they have a three-day weekend. Yeah, I think great. your 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 improvements, your life, your ability to travel, um, to do sort of chores, which sometimes you have to take an afternoon off for or whatever, would dramatically increase. And I just, I mean, it's my biggest frustration because we are a seven-day-a-week business. I can't actually put that in. But can you but do if, it on a on a shift basis? Uh, the only issue with that then is when you want to have your team together yeah, for sort of your team talks or whatever, you know, it then becomes a new sort of issue. But yeah. I, you know, I think other business should do it and that. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think, you know, taking a step away is sometimes just as important as being there. So what, are, what do you think are the big trends in, in fitness that we haven't tapped into yet? What's on the horizon? Where should we put our money, in other words? Mindfulness, I think. I think, you know, people have gone quite, quite hardcore on exercise and they've gone quite hardcore on trying to eat well and, and slightly burning out a little bit. I think like the sort of more restful side of it is going to mm. be, you know, where people, you know, when we started people with some people doing two classes a day and just going absolutely mental. Right. And now I think people recognize the importance of sleep, you know, taking time off from your mobile phone or whatever it is. I think that sort of side to it all is going to come in a lot more. Yeah. If, if you can somehow work out a way to make money out of that. I suppose Headspace is the yeah. good example. Headspace mm. too. Yeah. yeah. I think it's obviously very hard to predict sort of what, what's going to be the next um, boom, where that's going to be. I can tell you where I think there's going to be a big decline. Um, so I, I mean, my prediction is personal training will, it will be the quickest declining part of the fitness industry over the next five years. And that's nothing against personal training. Personal training has a fantastic use, especially in specifics, when you're trying to train for a certain thing. But more and more people are seeing that they can go to one rebel or core collective and get the results of personal training, but in a more fun you know, group environment and at a fraction of the cost, um, which is why we're seeing so many personal trainers move to becoming group trainers. Yeah. Um, so I think you know, the, the big box gyms who've, who've relied on that income for a long time might have a surprise. Um, but I probably agree with Jason in terms of where you know, people are saying, okay, well, I'm getting fitter, I'm getting healthier, but everyone's drinking less. I mean, much less, millennials in particular. Are they? Yeah, I mean, it's shocking for me because I'm still a little bit old school in that sense. But when I try and get my team out for a drink, they'd rather do a class and have a green juice. Um, there was a BBC thing, I think, the other day saying 27% of millennials don't drink at all. I'm always um, that, there for you, man. Yeah, that wasn't my experience. And yeah, thank God for Jason. Um, uh, so so you know, if you're not drinking all the time, you've got you know, time to think about other yeah. things. So I agree, mindfulness meditation, all that sort of stuff is going to become more interesting. And who are the threats to you? You're kind of taking on the big box gyms, and Damon, you're challenging the maxi muscles and the grenades and the lightning bolts, but what's <laughs> sniffing at your heels? Who, what are you scared by? You know, I think you know, we were chatting about this kind of before, before we came on, on, on air, but you know, it's such a big market. You know, I read something the other day, the global wellness market is something like $4 trillion. You know, that's why the, that's like three times the size of the pharma industry. You know, in in the UK, you know, the, the nutrition industry is about six hundred million dollars, right? So there's there's enough room for for everyone to play. So 
I'm very much kind of someone that's just focused on doing what I believe in, doing what I think is right, mm. doing what is true to kind of the values of, of form and, and making decisions that way. So I don't kind of spend too much time worrying about, yeah. you know, what someone else is going to do. A lot of this stuff can happen anyway. Yeah, you have I can't, to deal I with it when yeah. it happens. Yeah, I can't, con I can't control that. I can only control what I'm doing. Yeah, Obviously, I, I have to respond to threats and to challenges, but, you know, we're very much focused as a brand on developing a business and a brand that's kind of true to our kind of founding, I mean, founding there, there, values. There's a lot of chat around, I know you're quite into this as well, but there's a lot of chat around sort of home workout systems that you subscribe to and have classes yeah. at home and everyone's like you worried about that and i said well no well, i think not. Like peloton yeah. Yeah. well peloton i mean it's great there's a place for that and us i mean you know it would be like saying to people that are having a drink in a bar are you um tell saying like are you worried about people being able to buy alcohol cheaper and have it at home so well, they've always been able to do that yeah. it's still a place for being social mm. we're I, not I in that um, I think the, the the examples of like like lights of Peloton um, extend the market and they don't actually compete with us because they bring it's often, new people in. Probably. Yeah, it's often people who are out who can't come into central London necessarily and get you know, get the the live boutique experience. But I totally agree with you. I I, I don't spend any time thinking about um, what others might do. Um, not recklessly, but I just think um, we have to focus on what we do. And my biggest concern about what we do is um, maintaining the integrity of the brand and the customer mm -hmm. service whilst growing. And, and I think we, you've seen a lot of businesses that were kind of the disruptor and then became the corporate entity and customers moved away from that because they saw a decline in service, a decline yeah. in personality yeah. and personal touch. And I think we want to you know, grow the business, be a successful business, but also be the sort of the underdog at the same time. Um, that's gotta be our position and that only comes with not losing sight of what's core and that's, that's I guess the customer. So as we get to the end of the podcast, I wanna ask you, are set of quick fire questions that are meant to be more personal and find out as much about you as people as businessmen. Um, so I guess we'll go round. We don't often do it with three. Um, but start starting with me. you, Damien. <laughs> so who in the world of business do you most admire? Oh God, that's a really tough question. Uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, in, ter in terms of books that I've read and autobiographies that I've understood, Elon Musk, yeah. I think, mm -hmm. um, just as someone who, as James and I said, doesn't give a shit about anyone else and has just got these amazing, crazy visions and, you know, and he, and he gets knocked for that, right? He gets knocked for having these crazy visions of, I don't know, having people live on Mars or something like that. But what people miss is the fact that it's not about actually achieving yeah. that vision. It's it's about you know striving for that vision and landing up somewhere half in between. Maybe exactly. someone. Yeah, he's someone changed. On the moon or yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's changed. He's, the, you know, the idea. he has completely revolutionised like at least two industries that I can think yeah. of on the top of my head. You know, yeah. space shuttles. I mean, NASA would never have thought of reusing a space shuttle, a space rocket rather. And you know, and the and the automotive industry obviously as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, he would be the one person uh, closer to home. I guess Branson always is. Of course. Is kind of everyone's everyone's favourite as well. Yeah. He's another big disruptor, obviously. James? Uh, so I completely agree, Elon Musk. I think um, he's achieved more um, than most governments have over the last 20 years, and we need more We need more people like him. I've, I'm a massive fan. I know he, he messes up occasionally, like calling the you know, yeah, guys yeah. who rescue children pedos, which is you know, a bit of a faux pas. Um, but, um, you know, the, the guy's just incredible, yeah. and we need more people. Did you him people. on Joe Rogan? Yeah, brilliant. Didn't he brilliant. smoke drugs? Yeah, he didn't even hail. Um, okay, yeah, fine. it's fine. Um, but no, I think he's a visionary, and we need <laughs> we need more trust in people like that. Actually, yeah. I think it's um, 
I can't remember which billionaire it was, but he said, okay, yeah, fine, it's great to give all this money to charity, but actually it might be better used giving it to people like Elon Musk, yeah. um, who've got a bigger vision. And I, you know, I, I think it's incredible. Jason, Elon Musk, again. I'll throw in, just, yeah, so, just in case yeah. he's here, I'll throw in my dad, whatever. <laughs> yeah, President Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, joke. Um, uh, well, I mean, I don't have, I mean, Elon Musk, that's great. I, I think for me, um, I, I think it's probably weirdly my brother who's like, I, I, he had the, he's built up this amazingly successful business over ten years, and in the early days I was like that must be boring or that must that's so small why are you fiddling around doing that and he's like just chipped away at something and built it up and and seeing how if you actually just compound good decisions through time what without is the being loose well it's a, it's a car parking business in uh, all over England now so he parks cars wow. Yeah, I mean, it's not exciting necessarily. What were you doing? I was trying to video that to send it to your brother because I know <laughs> that he'll be that. delighted to hear that. You, yeah, and I got the, I've missed the first I bit, and all I got you saying is, yeah, he parts cars. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, you know, we can all be very impatient. I mean, he's been very, he was always, you know, there's one side to business being how do we get revenue, and the other side is like, how do you control your costs so you mm -hmm. don't die? And it's very easy to, like, you know, when you're having a frustrating time, just sort of try and throw money at things and. Get, get to get things going yeah. and there's a lot to be said for just knuckling down taking care of the cost side of things and just being patient Excellent. doing what you can when you can and Elon Musk okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh, Damien what would you be doing if you weren't doing this formal nutrition I mean not not podcast, not podcast <laughs> having a nap I've always been involved in kind of startups or running businesses so I'd have started another business I have uh, you know I'm always having kind of lots of ideas I, I'm Trying to think of one that I might share, but I can't uh, at the moment. But um, you know, it, I'd be I'd be creating yeah. something else. I mean, for me, I mean, starting businesses, entrepreneurship—it's it's the only way for someone who can't draw to be creative. <laughs> and, and, I, and I like being creative in this way. It's yeah. like a way of really creating, really creating value. It's massively rewarding. You know, um, I'd be doing you know another business of something. Great, James. Well, I think, you know, assuming it wouldn't be business, because I think I'm, I'm, I'm just naturally drawn to that. I mean, the only two other things which... You'd be in the special forces, wouldn't you? <laughs> the only two... It's such a dick. <laughs> the only um, two things which, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've loved and, and miss um, was, as Jason was alluding to, I was in the Honourable Artillery Company for a little while, which is a territorial army regiment. And, um, and I, it was because I j just wanted to join the army, mm. but um, I was convinced otherwise. And I think um, if I could do things again, I probably would have um, joined up fully. Um, other than that, um, a mountain guide. Okay. Um, lo love expeditions, love wow. being out there. And you've climbed um, Everest, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So. Has he not told you that? <laughs> no, we didn't mention <laughs> that. We should have got that on the start. He's actually got a pre-prepared podcast for that. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to do a one-on-one -on -one there. Yeah, Jason, yeah. what about He'll you? send it to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I don't know what I would... That's a, I mean, I don't want to think about it too much because then I'd probably tap out and go and do it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd, pro I'd probably be dead, to be honest. Okay, good answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Which phrase or convention would you like to banish from the earth? What are the cliches that really annoy oh, you, Damien? Uh, well, what are these new words that keep uh, coming well, we out? Were and we were before. talking about this lit, woke. Uh, yeah. These things that I don't understand. I like lit. Personally, I would keep lit. Like, Do you use lit a lot? Yeah. My life's lit. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. You don't really I've, pronounce the, the T, do you, when you say lit? No, that's obviously not. Lit doesn't it's, sound very cool. My no. life is lit. Yeah. No, not this good. This podcast is lit. Thank you very much. Lit. I think it is a good thing. James, anything that you hate? Uh, well, I'm keeping quiet on the lit versus woke <laughs> thing. I don't think uh, I can get away with either. 
Um, uh, in business, I'd ban the, um, why do we do this? Oh, because we've always done it before. That yeah. annoys the hell out of me. That's just, that's the, the, um, the antithesis to progress. Um, and then maybe more casually, um, the, the kind of the leg kink in photographs on Instagram. Oh, God, uh, yeah. You know, every single time I What's see that? people good, get... Good. People who try to just, take the picture yeah, of the front and the back at the same and, and, time. And the leg kind of comes at a, at a little angle. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, well, not all models. Let's yeah, not okay. pretend. Let's just yeah. have a nice picture. Selfies. Yeah, go. the leg kick. You know, there used to be a time where you go to the Great Wall of China and take a picture of the Great Wall of China. <laughs> now you go and take a picture of your head in front of... Facing into the distance. Like, with one inch of... Yeah, yeah the staring wall. into well, the distance. Well, you can't even walk along it because you're distracted by selfie sticks yeah. and stuff. But all the management, management speak is kind of a funny thing as well. Yeah, yeah bad, all that kind of... Blue yeah. Sky thinking, or you know, yeah. let's launch a thought grenade or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like that. I mean, you call it grenades, Damien. You hate grenades. Brainstorm bomb. <laughs> brainstorm. You're not meant to say brainstorm anymore, though. Are you not? It's meant to be. Is, this, is that mind disrespectful, to, disrespectful to mental health? Yeah. Yeah, of course. It could be. What's been your biggest failure or regret along the way? I think I could probably list a lot of personal ones. I think in business, um, n none, because you, you have. You, I remember what I had. No regrets. Well, I had a decision once, and I went to my sister actually for a bit of advice. And she was like, James, just make a decision, because I couldn't. Mm. And she was like, if you make a decision it's wrong, at least you close off that path. You, know, you don't have to go back there again. And you can pivot and you can move on. But not making a decision is kind of the, the worst thing. Yeah. So I think in business, I'm happy with all the decisions I made, because if they didn't go right, at least I learned something. Yeah, and you've got to kind of keep failing forwards. And you know, failures always have a lot of kind of learning mm. wrapped up inside them, right? Shall so. we ban failing forwards as a line as well? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. I, I like that. Quite good. I'm hearing so many new things yeah. today, but apparently really uncool. <laughs> <laughs> what was the pink one? Shrink it and pink Shrink it. it and pink it. I'm sure you've heard that before. <laughs> Never heard that. <laughs> um, what's the best piece of advice you've been given, Damien? That I've been given? I don't know, just get on with it, it really. Mm. I think like people kind of tend to procrastinate and are kind of, uh, as James was saying, kind of are scared of making decisions. I think, you know, just keep moving forwards. Do something. Failing um, forwards. Yeah, <laughs> fail forwards, yeah. James? I wasn't given it, but I'm um, borrowed from Winston Churchill. My favourite quote is, um, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it's the courage to continue that counts. Very that's nice. That's Very Follow nice. that, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly that. I was going to say exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, which book do you most often recommend to people? Uh, the books that I've been recommending recently are the Matthew Walker one, The Why We Sleep. Um, oh, he's taking all my answers. <laughs> <laughs> Can we shuffle the order? <laughs> I, I recommended uh, Elon Musk a lot as well. That yeah. was a book I enjoyed. I, I, I just recommended to James the uh, Michael Pollan um, How to Change Your Mind LSD book. That's right. Like That's about microdosing. Yeah. Well, it's not just about microdosing. It's all about big kind doses. of like LSD in big doses, which are much okay. better. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as a side note, um, Form Nutrition's got kind of new tropics in it, which is. So not similar to LSD, but it is about cognitive <laughs> opening up yeah, things. So, and yeah, so a do. big part. You know, a big part of what we wanted to do with form really was try to you know elevate nutrition to be more than just like a protein shake after mm. the gym. So when you kind of broaden the definition of nutrition, when you start to think of it as a little bit more, you realise that you know nutrition is about you know how, how you nourish your whole self. So it's not just about what you what you eat or drink. It's how you nourish your mind, how you support that. You mm. know what you're reading, what you're learning, all of these things. So the cognitive supplements that we have were were a big part of that. Just about kind of you know trying to 
enable people to look after their brains because mm. people don't realize people, everyone's obsessed with how they look or how they perform but people don't realize that like big big part of performance is is mental Definitely. even if you look at kind of time to exhaustion tests and things like that the time that people give up you know that's that's a mental decision right and you can you can extend that by quite a substantial percentage with right supplementation wow. and, and even like mind training or meditation things like that James, what about you? What's your book? Uh, if people um, are interested in starting a business, I'd recommend um, Peter Thiel's book. And he was um, the co-founder of PayPal. Elon Musk has gone on to do some amazing things called Zero to One. Um, that's, that gives some really good advice, I think, on, on starting a business. Yeah. Um, but for a bit more fun, I read this one recently called um, Living with a Seal. And it was the guy who... Oh, David Goggins. Uh, no, well, David Goggins is a seal, yeah. yeah. And the guy was Jesse Jess. Itzler. Jesse yeah. Itzler. Mark yeah. Jets, yeah. yeah. And he's married to Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely. Yeah, from uh, Spanx. And, oh, we're uh, reading all the same book. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he basically <laughs> got this Navy SEAL to live with him for 30 okay. days. And it's just outrageous the pain this guy went through. But it's quite an interesting um, take on what your body can actually do when wow. you're pushed. I mean, like at one point, this guy just wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, right, motherfucker, we're running four miles every four, four hours in 48 hours. And it was through the driving snow. And oh it was God. just brilliant. So yeah, good book. Okay. Have, good. have you listened to David Goggins on the Rich Roll podcast or anything? No, I've hit, heard him with um, Joe Rogan. Okay, yeah, and it's, he's, he's it's good, intense. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's amazing. The guy ran 205 miles in, in 39 hours. Was breaking every metatarsal in his feet once. Jesus. And, and he used to be massively overweight. Yeah, he reminds me of Jason, just, um, just without <laughs> sheer <laughs> <laughs> I'm not massively overweight, though. Uh, otherwise. <laughs> Jason, what my about book. you? What's your book? Well, so obviously, Why We Sleep is my current tip. Mm. Um, I love Sapiens. I yeah. really enjoyed that That's a lot. That's a good book. Just sort of. That appeals to if you're a human. Exactly. It appeals I just think it's interesting to see, you know, that a lot of our behaviours are just rooted in being an animal that yeah. eats everything and destroys everything. So. Mm. Which things. a couple of other businesses yeah. I just think uh, for actually, you know, to get up and actually start something is Eric Reese's Lean Startup. Yeah. It's a bit of a kind of techie book, but it's all about, mm. you know, just actually starting something testing, designing and iterating and moving in that continuous circle, just keep moving mm -hmm. forwards. That's a, that's a good book to kind of get get started as well. Brilliant, we've got a whole library there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll change the order now, Jason. We'll Thank start you. with you oh, nice for the last two. Um, what's your most treasured physical possession? It's a tough question. It is a tough <laughs> question because you don't want to sound materialistic in this world of experiences. Your yeah. house? Yeah, it's quite yeah. key. <laughs> Fine. Because it, it, it holds a lot of my other possessions that, that are joint but okay. not necessarily top. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Quite a useful one. It's, yeah, it's pragmatic so I sleep in it quite a lot. I'm yeah. going to get stick from Jason for this, for oh, saying this one. But um, uh, My flag that I carried up Everest. Pr pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> after coming down, I had all my photos on a laptop, and I posted some on Facebook, but my laptop then got stolen. And so I have no original photos except for one I got. Well, that's printed. suspicious, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got this one framed picture in my house. I was just thinking to myself, if it burnt down, what would I be upset yeah. the most about? And probably that. So. That's a brilliant answer. That's Not that yours wasn't, Jason. Yeah. Well, his is a bit average, a bit materialistic, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you asked about my material possessions. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Damien, what have um, you got? Yeah, I don't know. It's a really tough one for me. I've actually kind of. Shunned all his physical possessions. Yeah, no, I, I used to have so many things, and I've gradually kind of got rid of a lot, wow. which has actually been like so kind of therapeutic. Send it over. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, there's 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 nothing really. Okay. Actually, you know. Fair enough. Um, and finally, do you have a personal motto, Jason? We'll start with you again. Well, no, I don't. Okay. Good, James. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I think if I was to have one, it'd be the, that quote I said earlier. Yeah. Um, what, Winston Churchill? Yeah, I'll take Winston Churchill's, basically. Borrowed wisdom. Okay. It's always a smart move. Damien, have you got something beautiful that we'll end on? Yeah. I really uh, hope you do. I quite like, <laughs> yeah. fortune, I quite like fortune favours the brave. Well, wow. I think that's, uh, you like that as well? I do like that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Do, do you want to borrow that one, Jason? May I? Yeah. Should we ask the question again? Just, okay, cut, rewind. What's, yeah, your, what's uh, your personal motto, Jason? <coughs> I've always, fortune favours the brave. It's really always got me up in the morning. <laughs> drink it and pink it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I think that's almost a better note to end yeah. on. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us on Thank you very this much. episode of the podcast. Thank you. It's great Thank fun. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at the Gents Journal or on Twitter at the Gents Journal or find us online www.thegentlemansjournal.com.